0: Well, good evening, I invite you to open your Bibles to Titus, Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 verses 11 through 14 will be our text this evening, and as you turn to the book of Titus, let me wish you a very merry and joyful Christmas. I would imagine that there are some hardworking people who've been laboring all week to prepare a precious Christmas for their family and loved ones, and you've been pleading with the Lord that the preacher wouldn't go too long tonight <laughs> because you have gifts to wrap and you have dishes to bake, and I understand that, and so this evening I plan to Briefly and devotionally walk us through Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. As we do that, I want our eye to be toward the appearance of God's grace so that we might carry with us in our hearts a worshipful celebration this Christmas. A worshipful celebration this Christmas. So with that in mind... I do now invite you to hear and receive the inspired and authoritative word of the triune God. This is his word, and he is the only true God. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we are able to gather on this night, Christmas Eve, and reflect upon the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are able to sing songs of joy, true joy, because of the coming of our Lord. Lord, it's our prayer that you would help us to view you in this holiday season rightly, that we would be a people with joy because we are Christ and he is ours. We thank you for the gift of the Incarnate Son. Lift our heads, Lord, that we might behold you and worship you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Each day when we rise, there's a sense, a true sense, that the grace of God has appeared to us, if you will whether we realize it or not, whether we acknowledge it or not, whether we appreciate it or not, whether we believe it or not. Every day that we live is by and through the grace of God, for he is the one who causes the sun to rise on both the wicked and the righteous alike, as Matthew 5.45 tells us. We all experience what Theologians call God's common grace, which is common or, or general, in the sense that we all receive it. We all live experiencing it each and every day. However, there is a historic and a special appearance of God's grace that has changed, that is changing, and that will change the lives of men women and children, everywhere and forevermore. And this historic and special appearance of God's grace is what we call Jesus Christ, and that's what we celebrate this Christmas season. It's none other than God's gift of His only begotten Son. And Titus chapter 2 verse 11 puts it so simply for us this evening with this phrase, for the grace of God has appeared. I want us to capture that tonight. There's a lot on our minds, a lot on our hearts, a lot of things that we need to get done and that we will do over the next 24 hours. But brothers, sisters, and friends, the grace of God has appeared. What we have in Titus chapter 2 is the command for Titus to teach sound doctrine in verse 1. Then Paul gives this list where he elaborates on how members of the church, how members of the body of Christ are to to live their lives, how they are to conduct themselves in verses 2 through 10. But what we have in verse 11 is the, the why and the how, if you will. Paul tells us why and how believers are to behave in the ways that they have just been instructed in the previous verses. In other words, Paul's saying, live in a way that honors God. Live in a way that brings God glory. Live in a way wherein the gospel is on display. Live in a way where you influence Christ for others. Why? For the grace of God has appeared. Nearly 2,000 years ago, The grace of God entered into this world in an unfathomable manner. God's grace came to earth through the birth of a baby. The God-man was born into the world through Mary the Virgin. I just want us to think about both how ordinary and how extraordinary this is. We read in our Bibles that God spoke the world into existence. We read in our Bibles that God reveals himself in various ways a cosmic flood, a burning bush, plagues, the parting of seas, fire and smoke, appearances of angels, visions, theophanies. However, one night, nearly 2,000 years ago, God extraordinarily entered his own creation by ordinary means. A human mother giving birth to a human son. The extraordinary God veiled in human flesh. Truly God, yet simultaneously truly man. This is the very personal grace of God that has appeared to us. Many of us know John 1. One and two, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And if we skip down to John chapter 1, verse 14, we're told that that this word, the one who was with God, and the one who was God, he took on human flesh. John 1:14 through 18, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, John the Baptist, that is, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me. Why? Because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, however, the only God, that is God the Son who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. For the grace of God has appeared, my friends. Jesus Christ, Lord, at thy birth is that historic and special appearance of God's grace. He truly came into the world to save sinners, but the questions that you and I must ask ourselves and answer is this. Has Jesus Christ entered into your heart by faith, sinner? Hear that if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, that he came into this world to save sinners. Sinners like each and every one of you before my eyes, And sinners like me, the man preaching the text to you, he came to save sinners. We need, oh how we need, this son who was born in Bethlehem. More than we might ever know, we need him. For without him, we're utterly lost. We're doomed for destruction. We're slaves to sin. We're everlastingly unsatisfied. But with him. We are far better off than we now know. For no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. Yet, in our text, if we just continue, we get a glimpse of the glorious outcomes for those who trust in the appearance of God's grace. In the coming of Christ. Yes, for the grace of God has appeared, and the text continues, bringing salvation for all people. What do we do with the idea of bringing salvation for all people? An illegitimate and disastrous way to understand this phrase is that the coming of Christ necessitates the salvation of every single person. This idea is what we would call universalism. And the truthfulness of the Bible simply crumbles if we accept universalism. We would have to negate the plain statements in Scripture that repeatedly speak of the everlasting punishment of the wicked. So then what does it mean for Christ's coming to bring salvation for all people? And this reality is part of the wisdom and the beauty of God displayed in the gospel. And that is this that God made a covenant with Abraham, telling Abraham that he would become a great nation, and that his family would be blessed, and that all the families of the earth would be blessed through him. And Abraham's family became the nation of Israel. And David became the king of Israel. And God made another covenant with David, foretelling of a kingly, messianic figure who would come from David's line and be Israel's redeemer. But let us not forget that through Israel, the nations, the nations of the earth would be blessed. In other words, salvation is not just for the Jews, but also through the Jews to the nations, all by the person and work of Jesus Christ. So when we read Bringing salvation for all people, we just want to follow the biblical storyline and realize that the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Jewish Messiah, came into this world to save Jews and Gentiles alike. And as we saw not too long ago, as we've been working our way through the book of Ephesians in our regular preaching series, Jesus Christ tore down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles, and He is creating for Himself one family. Of God from every kind of people, and in this way, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. But please note, the salvation that Jesus brings, it's not a stagnant salvation. Yes, we are saved by the appearance of God's grace, but we are also trained by it. Look back in Titus two. Verse 12, it says, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ saves, and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ also trains. We could say that Christmas is about conversion, that Christmas is about justification by faith alone, that Christmas is about adoption, us becoming children of God, but we could also say that Christmas is about sanctification or transformation in and by Christ. That word training, the Greek term connotes a a father instructing his child, The term means to assist in the development of a person's ability to make appropriate choices. We have in this word the idea of continual practice and continual discipline. The coming of Christ brings salvation to the believer and trains the believer both negatively and positively. First, negatively. Trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. That is to abandon. That is to relinquish. That is to give up the natural appetites found in our human hearts as well as the wicked desires found in this world. Saint, do you know that's why the Lord Jesus Christ came? I don't mean to isolate anyone but from a pastor who cares about the souls of those in front of him. Many people show up to Christmas service and Easter service, but don't think much about the Lord Jesus Christ other than that. It's a family tradition. It's what we do. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save and to train that you might reject the world and walk with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But he also trains us positively. Positively trained to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Self-controlled speaks of the restraint of one's inner desires. Upright speaks of the conduct before others. So there's an inward and an outward reality to our Training That our desires within are changed such that we conduct ourselves in a way that honors the Lord. And really that last term, godly, speaks of an all-encompassing godlike manner. In short, the believer in Christ is presently being trained by the coming and conduct of Christ to be like Christ in this present age, in this current time. And so the appearance of God's grace... Bring brings salvation, and the appearance of God's grace also trains. Or we could say that we are both saved and trained by God's grace toward us in Christ, but the appearance of God's grace in Christ also makes us expectant for the appearance of God's glory in Christ. Look at verse 13, please. Not only as the grace appeared, bringing salvation and training us, but also, as we're being trained in this present age, it says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The first coming of Christ, which secured our salvation and now shapes us into his likeness, also is the premise for our anticipation of his return. Christ, as I've already said, came into the world to save sinners. He was born for sinners. He lived for sinners. He died for sinners. He was buried for sinners. He rose for sinners. He ascended for sinners. He is seated even now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for sinners. And he will come again to redeem those sinners forevermore that he has saved. And just as certain as the appearance of that historic and special grace is, so also is the certainty of his glorious return. Christian, saint, fellow believer, whatever's on your mind and heart in this holiday season, the good, the bad, and the ugly, know this one thing. That Jesus is our blessed hope. That Jesus alone is our blessed hope. He is our God and our Savior, and He will appear again. And so, what do we do? What do we do in this present age? The text says we're waiting. That we're waiting. The Greek term has a more positive sense. It means to look forward to. I like that a little better. We are waiting in the sense that we are eagerly anticipating the certain return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, on Christmas, we remember the first coming of Christ. But on Christmas, we also look forward to his second coming. And as we remember his first coming and anticipate his next, we remember what he did for us, and what he did for himself. Verse 14 qualifies Jesus and tells us that this God and Savior, Jesus Christ, is one. Look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Christ, I was thinking as I was studying this text, the Christ, really, if you want to think about it, he gives himself multiple times for us. He gives himself by coming into the world. He gives himself by, by living for us. He gives himself as he dies for us. I want to emphasize what this text teaches, specifically when it speaks of him giving himself for us. A small Greek preposition. That doesn't mean that we were so adorable that he decided to give himself for us. But rather what it means is in the interest of us, or on behalf of us, or in the stead of us, or for the sake of us, Christ gave himself. It speaks of the substitutionary atonement that he took our place, and by his grace, we take his. Christ truly gave himself for us, but not for us that we might live like the world lives. Not for us that we might live like our former selves. We're new creations in Christ. So rather, Christ gave himself for us that we might be transformed into his likeness, it explicitly says he gave himself for us for the purpose of redeeming us from lawlessness. What a gift this is. What a joy this is that he came and purchased his people with his death so that you and I might not have to die the death that we deserve for our lawless deeds. But there's more that text also indicates that he made us his own yes on one hand we are redeemed from lawlessness but on the other hand he also gave himself to purify notice what the text says not just to purify us but to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works Believer, you are Christ's possession. He came to redeem you from lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Christmas is about Christ coming to realize actualize a people for himself who were purchased with his blood and with his life so that you and I might do what? So that you and I might go tell it on the mountain, over the hills, and everywhere that Jesus Christ is born. And not just that we would tell it, not just that we would share it, not just that we would preach it, but that we would live in accordance with the beautiful gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Christ came. That's what we celebrate. Beloved, tonight and tomorrow, many of us will enjoy our traditions. And I love traditions. I've enjoyed some this week and I'll enjoy some tomorrow. I won't tell you what they are. You may judge me that the Lakers might be on at my house tomorrow. (laughs) Many of us will eat good food. Many of us will engage in the giving and receiving of gifts. Some of us will experience our first Christmas without a loved one by our side. Some of us may feel lost or lonely. Some of us may battle depression in the midst of a season that is supposed to be the most joyous time of year. Some of us, even right now, are stressed and thinking about all the things that need to get done. Many of us will do and think and say and feel many things, over the next 24 hours. But beloved, brother, sister, and friend who needs to behold the Lord Jesus Christ perhaps for the very first time, if you do one thing, please do this. Magnify the appearance of God's grace in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ so that you might carry in your heart a worshipful celebration despite whatever else this season brings. If we have God's gift of the incarnate Son, Lord, help us to believe this, then we have everything that we need. Behold the Son, worship the Son, and have a very Merry Christmas. Lord, thank you for your grace that's appeared to us in the coming of our beloved Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you that your word so clearly teaches us that you've come to save, that you've come to train, that you've come to give us an eager expectation for your return, that you have come to redeem us, that you have Come to make us your own, that we might be a people who are zealous for good works. So Lord, help us to understand the true meaning of Christmas in the midst of a culture and world that tries to strip it away. May we magnify you tonight and tomorrow and forevermore until we see you face to face. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.